Until now, the custom fit clothing industry has been dominated by suit and dress makers. But now there's a wolf at the door and they're changing the industry for the better. Today I'm talking to Eric Fu from Ethical Clothing Australia accredited business Citizen Wolf. Citizen Wolf is a Sydney-based brand making custom fit casual wear with a focus on ethical and sustainable practices. Before now, this would have been an incredibly difficult task. In fact, when the founders came up with the idea to create custom fit casual wear, they were mostly told it wouldn't work and that it would be too expensive and therefore impossible to scale. Needless to say, they stuck at it and got it over the line, and Citizen Wolf is now the official home of the tailored tea. Committed to ethical and sustainable production, Citizen Wolf uses merino, cotton, organic cotton, and cotton hemp blends, some of which are grown in Australia and milled in Melbourne. The brand works with mills accredited by Ethical Clothing Australia, ensuring that there are safe working conditions and fair pay throughout its supply chain. Keep listening to find out how Citizen Wolf is creating quality t-shirts while leaving minimal impact on the planet. I'm Brittany Draghorn. I'm the founder and editor at Brits List, an online publication dedicated to telling the stories of ethical and sustainable Australian fashion brands. And this is The Quick Unpick. Welcome to the Quick Unpick. Thanks, Britt. Uh, really happy to be here. It's great to have you. You're bringing a totally different perspective to this podcast series in the sense that you are making something very different to what a lot of brands in Australia or nearly all brands in Australia are doing. You're making um, tailored clothing made to order. So let's jump straight into that. What inspired Citizen Wolf's tailored T-shirt? Right. Uh, so the story began probably about six, seven years ago uh, when my business partner, Zoltan, uh, back then he was working on another brand called The Affair, and that was T-shirts inspired by literature in, in terms of some printed designs. Okay. And he was looking to start a new collection, and he was just asking me for some advice. And the conversation basically devolved into why is it so hard to get clothes that fit properly because I'm really, really short and it just seemed ludicrous to me that the only thing you can get tailored was a business suit or wedding dress rather than the stuff we actually wear 99% of the time. And he was explaining to me how the whole business model is actually built on mass production that you actually need to have a minimum quantity of several hundred garments to produce for a factory to want to work with you. Uh, and as a result, you can't really do telling. And the more we interrogated, the more we thought, this is stupid. There has to be a better way. And I guess we were foolish and naive enough to think we should you know, design that new way. Surely we, we can do it. And after a couple of years of, of thinking about it, uh, we decided to start Citizen Wolf full time to actually make it happen. Amazing. There's a few things that you touched on there. One is something that I hear a lot of probably from more so from the males in my life. It is that pain point of having like really difficult to find a t-shirt that fits. Yeah. uh, It's, it's one of those things which you think should be a very simple problem to solve. Uh, But the reality is that there's seven and a half billion body shapes out there. We can't fit into six standard sizes. Everyone's unique. Uh, And the most frustrating thing is that 
no brands are consistent about what, say, a medium actually is. Not just across brands, but even within the same brand. Yeah. And it just seems silly. And it, it's simply because the whole industry is built on what is convenient for the manufacturer, not necessarily the customer. Absolutely. And so then there is the other part of that. So you're talking about minimum order quantities and the reason why they are making them in, I guess, the most uh, popular sizes. Another big audience that this really leaves out is the inclusivity in terms of sizing. So we're not just talking about the different types of fit now, we're talking about making anything that's more than um, size 14 um, or even less than a size six. And so are you uh, catering for that as well? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, We have made clothing that's from size four all the way up to size 40. Yeah, wow. So for us, we don't actually care what size you are because we make everything one piece at a time. So we're not suffering the same constraints as a traditional fashion model. Yeah. And in a a traditional fashion model, I think the sentiment is that would be the quickest way to go broke, you know, trying to cater for that market. But realistically, I mean, that is a responsibility of brands now. Exactly. And it's two parts. So one is what you've just highlighted in terms of you just cannot possibly hold that much stock. Uh, But the second piece to it is that a lot of brands are deliberately exclusionary, right? They don't want people who are oversized to be seen in their brand because they don't think it's part of the customer base they're going for, uh, which we think is a really, really horrible practice that needs to end. Incredible. And so then how does this all work from a customer's perspective? Say, I want to get my first tailored T-shirt. Where do I start? Right. So uh, we've spent a huge amount of time trying to make this process as simple as possible and ensuring that the online experience is just as seamless as if you were to come into our store to get fitted up. So looking at a very traditional tailoring process as a point of comparison, you know, the best thing about tailoring is that there's overwhelming choice of what you can do, what you can pick, uh, and, and how you want the garment to finish up. But the worst thing about the tailoring experience is also that overwhelming choice, right? Because you just end up having so many options that your brain sort of shuts down and it becomes all too hard. So what we do is we keep things very, very simple and very, very familiar. You start by picking a style on our website, choosing the color and the fabric, as you would on any other normal, traditional online e-commerce experience. After that, what we do ask for is your measurements. And for most online tailoring sites, this is usually the most complicated part because you need to measure yourself, work out what your in-scene measurements are, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And we think that's really, really terrible because most people, A, don't know those measurements and B, don't know how to measure themselves accurately to get those measurements. So if those inputs are wrong, the garment we end up creating is invariably going to be wrong. There's technology available such as body scanning and the like, but we think that's also quite a terrible experience because no one really wants to strip down into the underwear and then have a camera pointed at them to to get their body measurements. Yeah, no, that doesn't Um, sound good at all. (laughs) No. So uh, we developed an algorithm called Magic Fit, which just by knowing your height, weight, uh, age, and for women, a bra size, we can work out your body shape with about 94% accuracy. And those are the only things we need you to enter for us to predict your fit. Because each person is individual and unique and you will know your body better than anyone else, 
Uh, we also have a free text field where you can just enter in anything that you want to note about yourself, such as you've got extra broad shoulders because you used to be on the swim team or you have one bicep bigger than the other. Our algorithm then takes all that into account and our system combines that information with your style and your fabric uh, preferences to create your unique pattern, which is then laser cut in our factory to your specs. Once it's laser cut, you'll get a notification letting you know that everything's in progress. And then usually within about two, three days of that, you'll get another notification letting you know that your t-shirt is ready uh, and has been shipped. So the whole process is sort of taking, you know, I've ordered my t-shirt, you've created this fit, um, you've cut it, you've let me know, and basically within a week you're sending it out. Generally, yes. Uh, It it will take between seven to ten days depending on the backlog, but uh, we're getting faster and faster. Incredible. And so the nature of Citizen Wolf's made-to-order production means that the manufacturing really does need to be local. It needs to be in-house. Was this always the plan? Absolutely. It's not just better for the planet in terms of having less things being shipped halfway around the world, but it gave us the ability to have very, very strict quality control as well as significantly better quality uh, delivery times compared to if we were making something overseas. Importantly, if for whatever reason the fit isn't quite right and we had to remake it for you, you don't have to wait another two, three weeks for something to be, for example, made in China uh, and then go through customs to be shipped back in again. Absolutely. So you can actually do those amendments and then once they know they're fit, they can reorder that again. Exactly. The, the beauty of the system is that once you have confirmed a fit, uh, it gets stored and any garment you buy from us in any style uh, is guaranteed to fit perfectly. You never need to worry about what size you are again because it never matters. So good. So you were just talking about your environmental footprint there a little bit in the terms of you get to make this product here where you're also selling it. Um, you know, a lot of products have been, a lot of garments go to up to 10 different countries by the time you find the fabric, uh, have it dyed, have it cut or printed and then sewn um, and retailed. So that is incredible. But you're also working with um, local fabric suppliers, so even further minimising this impact. Um, Can you talk about some of those fabrics that you're sourcing uh, here in Australia? Absolutely. So we uh, believe that smaller or a local supply chain um, is the best environmental footprint that that we can have. Uh, As you point out, what we don't want is for something to be traveling around the world more than what most people do, just to be made and and in traditional fast fashion, disposed after a couple of months. So we work with uh, Australian mills in Melbourne who are also ECA accredited, and it ranges from organic cotton, through to uh, a luxuriously uh, lovely merino wool that's grown from sheep farms in New South Wales. Incredible. That's so cool because I think like a lot of people who are listening might not even know that we have these industries here in Australia, um, let alone the ability to kind of grow and weave. I know that some in some of these cases that whole process isn't done on shore, but it's pretty cool that we are having that capability and even using it so we can keep it because that's what it's all about. Um, what other fabrics do you use? Uh, the third main fabric we use is a hemp and organic cotton blend. 
hemp is a really great sustainable fabric because uh, it doesn't take much water to grow. Uh, it's actually carbon, uh, it's very carbon friendly as well. Uh, it, it, it just is really great from an environmental perspective. The only downside is that it's also quite a controlled uh, plant. So unfortunately, it's not produced or grown in Australia. Um, most is done through China and that's where we source it. Yeah, right. Is, is that because we're not allowed to grow it here yet or it's just not traditionally been grown here? Uh, it's a bit of both. Uh, from what we hear, it's starting to ease up in terms of it's, there are some farms which are exploring that, but it's certainly not at the commercial levels needed to, uh, to have a viable industry just yet. Yeah, right. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that. I can see the um, the increased popularity of hemp, so I'm glad it's overcome its uh, negative PR <laughs> days um, yes. and definitely look forward to seeing that in more of your collections. Um, so you were talking about the environmental impact or benefit of having your manufacturing onshore. What are some of the other benefits you've found from having it here? So the great thing about the Australian manufacturing industry is that because there are much more stringent uh, controls of, and legislation around working conditions and environmental uh, pr protections, it means that the product tends to be a lot higher quality and follows the same ethos that, that we have, as opposed to a lot of offshore uh, suppliers where you can't really check it. You can't really go visit the farm. You can't really go visit the mill. Uh, regularly to, to ensure that it is actually at, at the right quality uh, and th they're doing the right thing. The other main benefit for us is that it allows us to iterate uh, and work on R&D a lot more efficiently compared to overseas. Uh, if we need things changed, again, we don't have to worry about things taking three, four weeks uh, to, to work with someone overseas to get a revision done. It can be done um, you know, as fast as overnight, if, uh, in, under certain circumstances, when you're working with someone local. And for us as a startup who are trying to do a lot of new things, who are trying to do a lot of experiments and trying to push the envelope, that speed of iteration um, you know, is, is vitally important for us. Definitely, because you are very much, I mean, you're kind of a tech startup as well as being a fashion brand, or you, you probably, you are a tech startup um, <laughs> in many ways. Yeah, we, uh, we often joke that we're kind of like a wolf in sheep's clothing in that we're really a tech company masquerading as a fashion brand. Absolutely. I wanted to know, you know, you've been going about this, you've said, for quite a few years now. Looking back at that journey um, as a designer and an innovator in the fashion industry, are there things that you would have done differently or are there things that stand out um, that you think you're, you're really proud of? Um, yeah, I think... In many ways, our naivety, which would otherwise have been a, a weakness in trying to do something or start uh, something in an industry that you've never done before, has turned out to be one of our great strengths because we were so uh, naive and were open to trying new things and didn't have this baggage of, no, that's not how things are done, that we've just uh, been able to create something different. You know, we, we asked very, very stupid questions uh, when we were starting up and trying to talk to other suppliers and manufacturers to convince them to work in the way that 
that we thought it needed to work. Um, and because they said, nope, you can't do it that way. It's not going to work. We've done the numbers. It, it just can't be done. Uh, that it forced us to actually you know, create our own way to make it happen. Yeah, amazing. And so, yeah, it's just been this constant learning curve and you were basically told at the start, like, no, it can't be done. And that just gave you the fuel you needed to make it happen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're, I, th- I think stubbornness is one of our core qualities uh, and the, the hatred of being told what we can't do. And uh, part of it's also this idea that what do you mean it can't be done? It's so obvious in terms of how it should be done. Why can't it be done? I think the main reason also is as a startup, we, we don't have all this infrastructure that's built around an old way of working. Uh, and because we don't have that vested interest in keeping a bloated machine fueled and running, um, we were able to try something different and, and hone it until it works. Awesome. So that was that bootstrapped approach and constant sort of innovation and learning. Definitely. And so then what advice do you have for new designers who are going through what you went through in the early stages of starting an ethically accredited label? Uh, There's two bits of advice I would have. And the first is uh, just building on what I said earlier, and that is to be very open to challenging all assumptions. There's just a lot of things which Again, when we started and had a blank sheet of paper to say, you know, if we were to build a fashion brand, what would be the perfect one? How would it look like? How would we built? Uh, we didn't come in with a lot of assumptions around how it should be made or why things have to be done a certain way. And, and that freedom allowed us to explore directions which I think a lot of people would otherwise shut down at a very early stage. The second thing I would say is that it is worth doing things a bit more slowly, a bit more focused and doing things the hard way at first. Doing things ethically and doing things sustainably is not easy. And I think as a startup, when you've got a, a million other worries to focus on, it could be one of those things that you think, hmm, that's too hard, we'll solve it a bit later. But I think it's very, very important that those values and behaves are actually built in and ingrained in your DNA from day one, because those are things that become very, very hard to change once you are big and once you do have infrastructure and systems in place. uh, It's very hard to change those if they don't already have this taken into account. For sure. So that's things like the, you know, the way you source your textiles and your relationships potentially with suppliers and things like that. Exactly. Even things like what are the business friendly processes that, uh, or environmentally friendly processes that you will follow. Uh, For example, it's very, very easy to say, because we're only producing a few garments uh, when we start, all the textile waste, we're just going to dump into a landfill because it's easy to just chuck it in the bin. The problem is if you don't solve that problem when you're starting up, when you're starting to make 10,000 T-shirts or 100,000 T-shirts or a million T-shirts and you've not been on the journey of trying to solve it, you're not going to solve it right? because there'll always be a million other problems to worry about. Yeah, and that is a lot of waste. (laughs) Yes. I think it's how we ended up getting to this situation in the first place where We've got an industry that's worth $2 trillion, yet is built on this notion that we need to keep overproducing clothing in the hope that it will sell out 
before we produce the next mountain of clothing. And that just seems crazy to us. I think it seems crazy to a lot of people, but it's not really something that's front of mind when you are shopping. So it is why these conversations are really important and businesses like yours. Speaking of which, um, Citizen Wolf's production is accredited by Ethical Clothing Australia. How important is the ECA accreditation to you and what benefits has that brought to the business? Uh, It's been hugely uh, important to us. and it's not just because of a, a moral perspective uh, of, of being ethical, uh, but it's also because it holds us accountable. Right? I, I think it's always very easy for everyone to believe that they're doing the right thing. Now, no one ever thinks that what they do is, is wrong. But it's important, I think, for independent, trusted and credible third parties to actually validate that you are doing the right thing. And when you fall short because you are ignorant of something or it's been accidentally overlooked or because you didn't know better, it's important to have someone who can guide you on what needs to be fixed to make it right. And the important part of that is that it means that for customers, there's that transparency and that trust uh, rather than just accepting a, a brand's word for it. It sounds like it is looped into that advice for new designers around what you were saying. You know, if you don't do it from the start, it can get away from you. So having that extra extra set of eyes to make sure that what you're doing sounds like that's been quite helpful. Exactly. Um, it's It's, I think, part and parcel of if you want to do the right thing, you do need to invest in doing the right things and not just say them. Um, you know, the, the, the phrase that we always use within Citizen Wolf is that it's not a principle until it costs you money. And that means spending the time and the resources right, to prove that you stand behind what you say. I think that is a pretty reasonable sentiment. And I think what Citizen Wolf is doing is really incredible. If anybody didn't know, I am a huge fan of the brand. I'll just say that now. I got my first tailored tee uh, about four years ago and basically wore it to death. I'll have to talk to you, Eric, in another conversation about how I can dye that because it's gotten so dirty, but it's still in great shape. Um, But yeah, so I'll be a a long-term fan. But thanks so much for joining me today on the Quick Unpick podcast, Eric. Um, It's great to showcase the work that Citizen Wolf's been doing. No problems at all. Uh, Thank you for the the chat. Um, Just one thing. uh, We are actually going to run a promotion again uh, uh, called Black Friday. So instead of of encouraging people to buy more things they don't need on Black Friday – Uh, we will actually help you dye garments, uh, old garments that you have, black, so they can be as good as you and you can get uh, more longevity out of it. So do keep an eye out for that. That is exactly what I need. Count me in. Great. All right. See you, Eric. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Britt. See you later. Quick Unpick is brought to you by Ethical Clothing Australia in celebration of the 20th anniversary of their accreditation program and inaugural Ethical Clothing Australia Week. This podcast is produced with assistance from the content division. Music is by Brisbane-based artist Sasha McLeod, also known as Psycho. That's S-Y-C-C-O. Catch the full first season of The Quick Unpick wherever you get your podcasts starting this October.